The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Big tech trying for a big turnaround. Futures, they are higher. But investors wondering if the multi-year bull market in fast-growing stocks has screeched to a halt. Wood, not worried. What ARK Invest Kathy Wood says she's doing as her funds continue to sink just days away, the House preparing to pass the $1.9 trillion relief and spending bill. New York, Chicago, and other local governments breathing a big sigh of relief. And your check could be in the mail as soon as next week. Move over, GameStop. There's a new crop of stonks on the radar, and they are surging. We're going to name them. Plus, a debt story that everyone can get around. How many Americans actually shored up their finances last year? It's your RBI, and it's coming on this Tuesday, March 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. little music to get you going. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you, I mean, wherever you may be, I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this busy Tuesday. Let's get right to it. Check the markets and your money. And, you know, forget Dow Futures, because we are squarely focused on NASDAQ and big tech. Probably fair to say it's been a bit of a dumpster fire lately, but it looks like we could turn today. NASDAQ Futures up almost exactly what they were down at this time yesterday. They're up 262 points. NASDAQ Dow Futures are up, but again, all eyes on big tech. Now, NASDAQ has been weak. The index down four of the past five sessions, down more than 10% from its most recent 52-week high. Apple, the biggest stock and the biggest drag on the NASDAQ, falling about 4% yesterday. And Apple continues to slide this month, but it is up about 2% right now. And of course, we stay focused on bonds because that move higher in yields, that very violent move, well, for bonds anyway, was a big reason stocks turned down. Yields right now actually coming back down to 1.54%. Around the world, a mixed session and overnight, a lot of drama in the Chinese markets the last couple of days. The Shanghai Composite down 1.82%. Talk the government may step in to buy some stocks. We'll have to watch tomorrow. The Hang Seng did rise, though. Europe just getting their day started. A little more green than red on the screen, at least the last time I checked. And look at that. Joker's wild. You got all three, Germany, the FTSE, and France, all higher today. All right, outside of the markets and back home, maybe not a moment too soon for many families struggling with joblessness. The House is preparing to take up a final version of the president's $1.9 trillion spending and relief bill as soon as tomorrow. That would be just days before federal unemployment benefits are set to expire for millions. NBC's Tracy Potts is here and has more on that in your D.C. day ahead. Good morning, Tracy. 
Hi there, Brian. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says they're just waiting on the paperwork to get this vote done. Could happen today, could happen in the morning. And while they are waiting, the CDC's put out some new guidance for the 30 million people in this country who've already been fully vaccinated. The CDC says masks should still be worn in public, but if you're fully vaccinated, it's okay to visit family from one household in town without a mask or social distancing two weeks after the final shot. If grandparents have been vaccinated, they can visit their daughter and her family, even if they have not been vaccinated, so long as the daughter and her family are not at risk for severe disease. Americans ready to come out of hiding. Go to the beach, go out, visit family. I'm looking forward to visiting my grandkids. Travel is still discouraged. Health experts are concerned with spring break just around the corner. Florida is already seeing crowds. I see so many freaking people and honestly, everyone's like almost piled up on top of each other. Texas lifts its mask mandate tomorrow. That this doesn't come back to, to create uh, an influx of cases and a super spreader virus. In Washington, the House of Representatives could take a final vote on coronavirus relief today or tomorrow morning. So far, with no Republican supporting the nearly $2 trillion plan. As soon as I get it. President Biden watching veterans get their shots. He'll address the nation Thursday night to mark the first anniversary of America on lockdown. And the White House says if relief passes soon, people could see the $1,400 payments in their bank accounts, Brian, by the end of the month. And the good news, Tracy, is that more Americans are now vaccinated than there are total cases. So that is we're, we're headed in the right direction. Let's hope it continues. Tracy Potts, have a great day in D.C. We'll see you soon. Take care. Cases are down 90 percent. A lot of states, folks, off their highs. Hope that continues. All right. Anticipation of that spending and relief bill. One reason stocks rallied late last year with a big percentage of those $1,400 checks expected to go right into the stock market. Remember, that could help technology stocks and ARK Investments. Kathy Wood says she's not really worried about the recent sell off in tech and her mini funds, arguing the bull market's expanding its horizons to include more strategies like value stocks. And the CEO of ARK Invests, our flagship fund, the ARK Innovation, returned 150% last year. That's why we focus on it as technology and momentum stocks boomed amid the pandemic. But the fund, ticker ARKK, down 7% this year as those high-flying names pressured by rising rates and changing investor interest. Speaking on CNBC, Wood said her strategy will still pay off, and she is capitalizing on the sell-off. Right now, the market is broadening out, and we think in an underlying sense, the bull market is strengthening, and that will play to our benefit over the longer term. All right, let's talk more about all this with Rob Morgan, Director of Market Strategy at SETI Companies. Rob, it's good to see you again. Do you think the the bull market, the multi-year bull market in big tech is over and there are better money to be made elsewhere? 
Well, Brian, um, I, I do think the market is broadening to uh, to agree with uh, Kathy Wood, um, and uh, and that's a very good thing for for markets overall. Uh, it's it's hard to predict where big tech is going to go. I mean, I'm I'm neutral on the space um, because uh, you know not valuations are certainly stretched, even though the sector has great visible earnings growth. But the but the technicals uh, recently with the sell off have been hurt, so that's uh, so that's why I'd be neutral on the sector. What are you not neutral on? What do you like? Where can we make some money, Rob? <laughs> Right now, um, my three favorite S&P 500 sectors are, uh, are financials and the two commodities, en- energy and materials. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been, since I've been uh, positive on commodities, but uh, it does seem like uh, we, we've started to see some strengthening. Uh, and, uh, you know, OPEC, uh, within the last week or so, decided they're not going to increase production, which is uh, bad for consumers, but pretty good for, uh, for investors in the space. So those are three sectors uh, uh, that, I, that I really like right now. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the $1.9 trillion spending and stimulus plan, there was a lot of talk about that at the end of last year. Very different COVID situation. A lot of the idea that much of this money is going to go back into the market. Do you think that, that that is already largely priced in? It is going to pass. It might have some small tweaks here and there, Rob. But, but does that influx of money, has that already been built into where we stand today? Yeah, I think so, Brian. I think that uh, that the that the relief package is is baked into the market by and large. However, on a, on a more positive front for for stocks, uh, you know, we had a we had a really good earnings season for the for the fourth quarter that we just completed, and you know, at the beginning of April, we'll we'll start seeing reports for uh, for the first quarter. And one notable thing uh, in in uh, in February, analysts were actually upping their estimates, their future estimates for earnings, which which is very rare. Usually, in the middle middle month of a quarter, you, you see analysts cutting uh, cutting uh, their estimates. So, uh, so, so even though the, the stimulus plan may be baked in, there's still some other positive things going for the uh, for the equity markets right now. Yeah, there are. And today, it looks like we could see a tech turnaround. Showing some of these names this morning: Apple up two percent, etc. We'll see what happens. A lot of talk about energy these days. Rob Morgan, how much has changed? Rob, we'll see you again soon, buddy. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. You too, Brian. Thanks. All right, we are just getting started, and when we come back, the surging stock that Kathy Wood says, quote, is probably one of the most important companies in the genomic revolution. There's your mystery chart. We'll show it to you. Still can't get an N95 face mask? What Honeywell and 3M are saying about why not? And later, airline groups pushing back on the CDC's latest guidance for air travel, but former Spirit Airlines CEO Ben Baldanza has to say, Dow and NASDAQ futures, they're up 200. And we're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Well, we are now one year into COVID-19 and the lockdowns. And if you thought the demand for those highly sought-after N95 masks was waning, you might want to think again. Seema Modi joining us now to tell us why it's still so doggone hard to get a real N95 mask and or at least I should say, not a fake, because there's plenty of those out there as well, Seema. That is right. Good morning, Brian. A year into the pandemic and the N95 shortage is still an issue. Big manufacturers of N95s, 3M and Honeywell, ramping up production at a fast speed over the last year. 3M hiring over 300 workers and setting up new manufacturing line in Aberdeen, South Dakota. In December, we were running at 95 or higher, 95 million units a month or higher. So we're hitting historic levels of output domestically, quadrupling what we did uh, 12 months ago prior to COVID. Adding to the N95 challenge, fake masks flooding the market. Earlier this week, Customs and Border Patrol seizing 65,000 counterfeit masks from Chicago's O'Hare Airport. have prosecuted or launched over almost 30 different lawsuits against actors that we have found uh, that are representing themselves as 3M distributors or um, coming to market with product that is, is uh, sometimes five, six, 10 times what the standard price should be. And with this shortage persisting, hospitals are still rationing masks, pushing healthcare workers to find other solutions. Some are double masking, others opting for an air purifying respirator, also known as a PAPR made by 3M, and Honeywell launching a new dual layer mask with a replaceable insert. With that said, the vaccine is not expected to dent demand for N95s. In fact, Lidl's CEO, which makes filtration material that goes in a lot of these masks, says it sees demand growing as schools and offices look to safely reopen. Brian? All right, well, a lot of talk about the spending bill, and there's talk about some of that money going to personal protective equipment for teachers and others. So what is the president doing about the current lack of things like the N95 mask? Well, actually, in one of his first official acts as president, Joe Biden did announce plans to use the Defense Production Act to boost production of N95s. But in addition to bringing more masks to market, state and federal officials need to solve the procurement issue that has left some third party suppliers like Prestige Ameritech down in Texas with millions of masks and no new orders. So there is a communication gap that also needs to be solved. Brian? Yeah, it certainly does, especially when you talk about flying. I know, Seema, the one thing I'll always remember about you is that you were the first person I knew that got back on a plane. I said, dang it, Seema Modi can do it. I'm getting on. And that was when people had, like, the, the diving bell helmets from, like, 1918 scuba diving. People would come on, like, now it's just give me an yeah. N95 mask and you feel pretty good. But you got to get, by the way, do you have any? I, I, I've had one, but uh, you, again, you're not supposed to keep wearing it for multiple times. You're supposed to throw it away after a certain amount of time. But 
You're right. In the beginning, we were all doing the mask plus another plus the face shield.、Um, but I think since then, some people are now just sticking with, with one. But you know, gotta follow, gotta follow the protocol. One good, one good one. Yeah, I think it's three times. But medical officials out、Hand、there have to correct me on, on the wearable, the N95. Hand sanitizer. That's it. All right, Simo Modi. Thank you. Good seeing you. Talk to you soon. All right, still on deck. More fallout from that widespread Microsoft hack attack and how continued attention on China could poison an already tense relationship. We'll get a live report from Beijing on worldwide exchange returns. Nasdaq and Dow futures both up 200. Today's big number: 50%. That's how many people aged 25 to 34 plan to spend half of their stimulus payments on stocks, according to a survey by Deutsche Bank. Overall, that could represent an inflow into the market of 170 billion dollars. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS, nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store, be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Why don't we get you up to speed on some big story stocks, names that are on the move this morning? Here you go. You ready? Stock one, Stitch Fix shares. They're down. Wow, twenty three percent down. Falling short of Wall Street estimates, the company also disappointing investors by lowering its current quarter and full year sales forecast. Remember that shipping story we did about a month ago? Well, Stitch Fix is blaming shipping delays and longer purchase cycles. All those container backups. In other words, customers may be spending less and buying less frequently, or they simply have all their stuff stuck in a ship or a port somewhere. Stock number two, Del Taco, the fast food chain booming. Of course, fast food remains wide open in California and other states like that, where there's not a lot else open. Sales are soaring. Del Taco shares with them. By the way, they are up 25% so far this year. Stock number three, Peloton. It is going to race down under. Company announcing it'll launch its bikes and digital app in Australia during the second half of this year. This marks the first time Peloton will expand beyond the current markets, which are the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany. And because it's Tuesday, why not a bonus name for you? Invite. It is a molecular diagnostics company, not a household name, but that's kind of the point. Maybe one you should know. Stock is rising after Kathy Wood says she remains bullish on it, calling it quote. Probably one of the most important companies in the genomic revolution. That stock up eight percent. Well, now to that important and growing story about the massive hack of Microsoft email, one that may have impacted your company. Chinese state media today ramping up rhetoric over claims that Beijing somehow played a role in that hack. Eunice Yun joining us now live from Beijing with more. Eunice. Thanks so much, Brian. Well, Chinese state media, as you said,、uh, have been saying that U.S. accusations that China is somehow behind the massive attack on、uh, Microsoft could potentially poison already tense relations、uh, between U.S. 
and China. Uh, the Communist Party paper, The Global Times, argued that the U.S. has provided no evidence, they say, uh, that hackers backed by the Chinese state breached Microsoft email servers and uh, say that the U.S. has lacked sincerity when confronting cybersecurity issues. In fact, uh, Beijing has described the U.S. as the one uh, with the large the history of having large spying programs pointing to the NSA program that was uh, disclosed by Edward Snowden uh, long ago. Um, in fact, just a couple of months ago, uh, the, the Chinese government called the U.S. the empire of hacking, bugging and spying. So uh, the paper says that if the Biden administration uh, wants to work through these issues with the Chinese, uh, they should be rational as well as um, fair and uh, that they should look to coordinate with Beijing on cybersecurity issues. But, Brian, you and I have both been covering this relationship between the U.S. and China for quite some time. And I remember when President Obama uh, just five, six years ago in 2015 had called a truce with President Xi Jinping on cybersecurity issues. And it doesn't seem as though all of the attacks have uh, necessarily ended. Yeah, and you wonder, is there any sign of a thaw? I know President Biden is going to be having a quadrilateral meeting in about the regions, India, Australia and others and the United States to try to maybe blunt the growing impact and economic force of China. But is there any sign or any knowledge of any uh, official meetings uh, virtually or otherwise, of course, Eunice, between Biden and President yeah. Xi or just nothing on the calendar at this point? Nothing on the calendar as of yet. Uh, there has been um, some discussion about those uh, meetings, as you said, between the Quad and uh, what potentially that could mean for Beijing. I think that it would be somewhat disconcerting for Beijing because one of the benefits that China has had and has long been able to really take advantage of is the fact that countries have not been solidified and coordinated on how they approach China. So uh, China has been able to take advantage of that, and some would say divide and conquer. We'll see what happens in that relationship and this hack attack, certainly straining that, at least in the early days of the Biden presidency, Yunus Yun in Beijing. Yunus, thank you very much. All right, on deck. First, it was GameStop, but now there is a new crop of the so-called meme stonks, and they're on the radar and they're surging. We're going to have those names for you. Plus, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss the show, you can't record it, whatever, or you're on the road, check it out. Apple, Spotify, or other podcasting apps. It is named, you got it, Worldwide Exchange. And a quick programming note, tune into CNBC's On the Edge, 6 p.m. special, all week long. Dow Futures up 200. We're back after this. A tech turnaround Tuesday. Looks like it right now. NASDAQ futures, they are up big, but investors still on edge about the recent selling in the biggest names. Bitcoin's valuation topping a trillion bucks once again. As more investors say, crypto is like any other asset. You don't have to love it, but you, you should own it. And the red-hot real estate market facing a big test. No homes to buy and interest rates on the rise. We're going to find out why on both. It is Tuesday, March 9th. And this is Worldwide Exchange.
Well, good Tuesday morning. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a great start to your day wherever you may be. You know, you got the coffee thing. Good morning. All right. Let's forget Dow Futures for now, shall we? We want to check out NASDAQ and big tech. That's what we've been watching lately because stocks have been selling off. Not right now. Looks like a turn. NASDAQ futures up 242 right now. We're coming into four down sessions in the past five. We are currently, well, I don't want to say correction. That's more of a technical term. But the market is down 10% from its most recent 52-week highs. This whole thing's a process, remember. Apple, the biggest drag on the NASDAQ, falling some 4% yesterday alone. It is down this month as well. We're focusing on the bond market because it's not just a rotation from big tech into things like oil and gas, energy and other, quote, value stocks. It's also been that rapid rise in yields that we saw, at least for the bond market, a very sharp move. It's reversed. We're at 1.54%. So bond yields have actually come down about 10 basis points in the last couple of days. All right, some names to focus on today. Shares of Discovery and AMC Networks. They are finding themselves the latest darlings of Reddit investors. Both companies are among the most shorted stocks in the U.S., according to FactSet. Shares of Discovery jumping nearly 5% yesterday to an all-time high. It is up 125% since January 4th when Discovery Plus service launched. That stock is up 130% this year. In the meantime, shares of AMC, not to be confused with the movie chain, have also doubled since the beginning of the year on no real news. Fox, by the way, the best performing stock by far in the S&P 500 this year, along with those names as well, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Maybe old TV is the new TV. Either way, names we've been watching and continue to watch. Now let's get a check on this morning's top headlines. Number one, the House set to officially take up the Senate's version of the $1.9 trillion spending and relief bill. Lawmakers in the Senate hope to take up the legislation today after it cleared the Senate this weekend, rather, but they are still awaiting the upper chamber to send it back down to the House. Democrats in the House are pushing to approve the package in time for President Biden to sign it before key unemployment programs expire on Sunday. Story two, Bitcoins march back above 50,000. The crypto hitting its highest level in two weeks. It's at 54,000 and change right now, up 2,000 bucks. More signs of rising institutional demand. Amid that comeback, Evercore ISI revealing in a note it believes Bitcoin is in a strong position to reach 75,000 soon. And speaking with CBC yesterday, ARK Invest Kathy Wood says she sees the crypto joining stocks and bonds or maybe real estate and gold or whatever as a part of any balanced portfolio. We do think it will be uh, it will behave Actually, I would say more like the fixed income markets, believe it or not. Uh, If you think about bonds from this level, you know, this idea of a 60-40 balanced portfolio is a bit problematic. We've been through a 40-year bull market in bonds. We would not be surprised to see this new asset class become a part of those percentages, maybe 60 equity, 20, 20. Uh, So I actually think that might be the biggest surprise here. And your third big money headline is this. Frontier Airlines making a second attempt to go public. The budget airline, which is owned by private equity firm Indigo Partners, has filed for an IPO. Company dropping initial plans for an IPO last summer after filing all the way back in 2017. 
Move comes the airline industry prepares for a rebound from the pandemic. Well, the continued work-from-home lifestyle has created big demand for data centers as companies up their digital infrastructure to meet all of our remote technology needs. And that demand has in turn created big real estate needs for facilities to house those center, along with a lot of energy. Diana Olick joining us now with exclusive details on the data center boom, one which impacts what I cover, Diana, the energy market as well. Absolutely, Brian. Look, just the fact that I'm coming to you live from my living room in D.C. is another reason why data centers are seeing so much more demand now. And one of the biggest bets on data real estate is going on just down the road from here. Northern Virginia is the largest data center market in the world with names like Aligned Data Center, where we got to look inside. It's in the midst of a massive construction boom, accounting for more than 60 percent of the current pipeline in the U.S. This area is now data center central as the different companies build in clusters in order to share information closely. Now, data centers were the highest performing REIT sector last year, ending up 21%. Major names include CoreSight Realty, Cyrus One, Digital Realty, Equinix, and QTS Realty Trust. Demand for data centers fell back 11% last year to the second best year on record as companies froze their IT budgets due to COVID. That according to a new report from CBRE. But data usage grew also due to COVID and everything that went online, in addition to 5G and self-driving cars. So as the economy now opens up, this year could be big. Already 500 megawatts of new build coming online now, almost 70% of which is pre-leased. Um, and so we do believe that 2021 might be the record year and then we'll accelerate thereafter, not only in markets that are heavily concentrated like Northern Virginia, but also spreading into some of these smaller markets for resiliency, cheaper power, green and edge. Now, there is one big risk to the sector, of course, rising interest rates, because these growth companies are so dependent on the cost of capital. And that's why you've seen some volatility in all tech stocks, including these data center stocks. Brian. You know, Diana, if you look at the construction, especially where, you know, northern Virginia, outside of that, by Dulles Airport and stuff, it seems like all these companies are building their data centers right next to each other. I I assume that has something to do with either A, energy demand, B, that's where the fiber optic pipes are, or C, all the above. It's like you're answering the question for me, Brian. Yes, that's absolutely right. In fact, Spencer Levy likened it to Wall Street in the 1920s. Everyone wanted to be where the information was, where the stock exchange was, where they could exchange their data. And so they built together. They wanted their offices together. Same with data centers. And also you talk about these data centers wanting to go green. That's part of it as well. Energy uses where they can pool some of those resources resources and save a little bit on the energy costs as well. I promise I did not look at any of the story ahead of time, but it does make a lot of sense. I mean, these things are the greatest power, I try to find the right word, users, there we go, that that we know of. And I guess they've got to be where there's some secure, let's hopefully it's secure, not like what happened in Texas. Diana Olick, thank you. Fascinating stuff. All right. Well, we're going to just continue on with Diana's sector as well, the housing market. It has been one of the economic bright spots amid the pandemic and that continued work from home lifestyle. But the cheap money that has helped fuel the housing boom becoming a little bit less cheap as the 30 year fixed rate climbs back above 3 percent. Hardly high long term, but 
higher than it was. There's a bigger problem, though, in the housing market. Let's talk more now about it with Danielle Hale, chief economist at Realtor.com. Danielle, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, The bigger problem is not interest rates. The bigger problem is there's not many homes left to buy. Your stats alone, I think it was 50,000 fewer homes last month than in February of 2020? Yeah, we're actually seeing the the, uh, decline in new homes listings come down about 25% on a year-over-year basis. If you looked at January and February together, between the rough winter weather and the fact that we've got a slow start to the year thanks to the pandemic, we're looking at 200,000 fewer homes Uh, that were put up for sale this year compared to what we would typically see. So the housing market was already in a place where there weren't a lot of homes available for sale. And we've just seen those numbers worsen in the first two months to start 2021. Is there any sign that inventories are starting to loosen up? I mean, if you want to sell your home, now's the time, right? I mean, you're probably going to get max money if you have a home to sell. Yeah, the message for sellers is that now is a great time to sell. I think a lot of sellers have been skittish with uh, having people in their houses as a result of the pandemic. Um, A lot of sellers tend to be older, so they have those extra health concerns. Now that vaccines are starting to roll out, treatments are getting better, that's certainly going to help. The industry itself has also been very adaptable. We've seen virtual tours become quite common. People are looking at ways of doing business in a socially distant way, trying to manage those health risks. And of course, as those health risks diminish, that's also going to help sell our confidence. Sellers are looking at all-time highs in prices. Already in February, the median listing price was up above 350000 That's where we hit peak last year. It's extraordinarily early in the year for us to surpass last year's peak price. We usually have a dip in the winter uh, for home prices, but we're actually already up above last year's price, and prices are rising at double digits. So those are challenging conditions for buyers, but it's great news for sellers who want to participate in the housing market and make a move now. I guess the problem is if you sell, you got to have somewhere to live, so you might just be buying in the same market that's just as hot unless you're moving someplace where it's not hot, which I don't know where that might be. Is there... I mean, are the markets, Danielle, that are still, is it still Florida? Is it still the Texas? Where are still people moving? Or did they just go 40 miles outside of their city during the pandemic? And now they're, they're no longer, you know, Brooklynites. They're, they're living in Long Island or the Catskills. We have seen greater interest in the suburbs and not just suburban areas, but these secondary markets that are outside of the metro area, but, but not too far away. So, for instance, in, uh, a lot of New Yorkers and Philadelphians are looking at uh, the Poconos region. So we've seen a lot of interest in that area um, because you know people can live and work from there now that remote work has become more common. Um, in addition, parts of the South where we've seen building do a better job of keeping up with demand, uh, those areas have done a bit better. Uh, and out West, we had started to see some, uh, some tick up in new listings activity. Again, you have a lot of people that are considering remote work uh, especially in the Bay Area where yeah. companies have been a little bit more flexible. And so that's freed up some listings in that area. Yeah, they're selling the city and they're buying in like Lodi, you know, an hour and a half outside of San Francisco or, as you mentioned, New York. They want to be just close enough that if they have to go back, they can do the drive. But otherwise, they want the space. Daniel Hale, Realtor.com. Daniel, thank you. Good stuff. Wow. 50,000 fewer homes for sale. Take care. All right, coming up, former Spirit Airlines CEO Ben Baldanza is here on what it's going to take to get everybody back on a plane. Do you need to have a vaccine passport? Should you? Controversial topic. We'll talk about it next. 
All right, it is time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's get random but interesting about debt. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not a fun topic, especially at, what, 5.40 in the morning or any time, really. But this is the good kind of debt story, the paying-off debt kind of debt story. Because last year, while miserable on pretty much every level, was actually the best ever for American household balance sheets and credit card debt. According to WalletHub, Americans paid off $83 billion in credit card debt last year. For context, Americans on average add about $54 billion to credit card balances every year. So a net paydown of nearly $30 billion. Wow. And what cities paid down the most credit card debt? Well, WalletHub lists the top five. You go, Oxnard, California, the biggest credit card debt paydown city. West Valley, Utah, Augusta, Georgia, Pearl City, Hawaii, and one of my favorites, Shreveport, Louisiana, the top five paydown cities. And with stimulus checks on the way, as much as 14000 in direct payments and tax credits for a family of four, remember, we could challenge that fourth quarter record and pay down even more debt. Certainly random but interesting and Probably very good for names like MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. All right, the CDC out with some new guidelines yesterday morning. Chief among them, vaccinated people are now allowed to congregate indoors without masks with other vaccinated people or close family members. But even one year into the pandemic, and with 18% of the people with at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, CDC is still recommending people avoid unnecessary air travel, something airline industry groups are pushing back on in a statement. Airlines for America insists being on board a plane poses a low risk of coronavirus infections because of heavily filtered air and federally mandated mask wearing. Joining us now on this and more is former Spirit Airlines CEO Ben Baldanza. Ben, uh, it's good to have you on. Listen, this is a, unfortunately, like everything else, become a political topic. You take one side, you're on one side or whatever it might be. As our viewers know, I've Flown a ton, okay, because I'm covering <laughs> stories out there around the vaccines and I wanted to see them for myself firsthand. Good mask, hand wash. I tend not to eat if they even offer anything on the planes. Do you feel like the CDC gets it? A five-page whatever document on what we are, quote, allowed to do once we're all <laughs> vaccinated? It just seems there's a lot of words and not a lot of guidance. Well, it's great to be with you, Brian, and, and I, I tend to agree with you. You know, I, I what I don't understand is why the CDC says specifically not to travel by airplane. Now, if they're worried that by, by traveling, you're going to gather with other people or maybe be around environments that aren't as safe, that's different than saying specifically don't be on a plane. Like the A4A says, airplanes are very, very safe. There have only been 44 documented cases by the CDC of transmission of COVID on airplanes, and most of those were before airlines required masks to be worn. So being on an airplane is much safer than being in a restaurant or being in a grocery store. So if the CDC is going to say, even if you're vaccinated, you shouldn't travel on an airplane, they should say you shouldn't go out to eat or you shouldn't go to a grocery store either. Why do, why do they just well, pick on the airplane? CDC, I there's actually it. been, I mean, I don't, uh, you, you, you dive into, even, even data has become politicized. There was a CDC report on March 5th it said to basically going into eating at a restaurant had no sig- statistically significant increase in cases 40, 60 or 80 days 
later. The report didn't get much or any attention at all, but it's out there. I think the idea is that it's not the plane itself, Ben. It's that if you're infected or coming from a heavily infected region, of which thankfully there's not that many, we're down 90% on cases, they don't want you moving around. And I think the fear is probably the Florida spring breakers. I think that that's sort of the, the bomb that everybody's kind of waiting for. Well, I think that's right. And I actually traveled by airplane to Florida last Friday and saw those spring breakers. And I was kind of shocked as well. But it wasn't the travel by airplane that made it unsafe. It was the activities at the location that made it unsafe. So again, for the CDC to say not to travel right now really is so specific and there's a lot of places you could go why couldn't you go to a national park and go hiking why couldn't you go to a theme park and where everybody's separated and the rides are all separated there's a lot of places you could go very very safely so to ban or to say it's not recommended for all travel is really a wide swath that that is going to impinge on the economy and there are people who will say, don't. I know people and they're good friends of mine. They might be watching right now. And I love them if they are. They have not been out to eat in a year. That is their prerogative. I respect their decision very much. They don't feel safe. I totally, totally get that. But ha- like you, having been to an airport frequently in the, in the last couple of months, there are a lot of people who are choosing to fly. It is not illegal. They're hopefully doing it very safely. 1.1 million people going through TSA checkpoints pretty much Every day now, it's about half the normal volume. But the point is, there are a lot of people that, especially the senior, I've seen a lot of seniors, Ben, and I've, and I've said it on this show. I talked to them. I said, where are you going? They said, I'm vaccinated. I'm going to see my kids. And we had a CEO of a hospital on yesterday. If you don't make people feel optimistic about what they're able to do if they get vaccinated, they're not going to get vaccinated if they're on the fence about taking it. You need hope. You need optimism in a rational format. Do you not? I'm not trying to preach or anything. This is coming from the hospital CEO yesterday and many other people a lot wiser than I am. Give people clear but safe guidance, but give them hope so they take the vaccine. I agree with that completely. Now, in this CDC guidance, I read it very carefully because just last Saturday I was vaccinated. And so I was particularly excited to see what they said I could do. And uh, and what they specifically say is that grandparents can see their grandkids if both are if they're vaccinated. But then they said, but you can't travel. So that seems kind of strange to me. They're saying it's okay to get together if the vaccinations are there, but you can't travel to get together. So how are you supposed to see them if you can't travel? And so there's some inconsistencies in that as as well. Well, you guys, listen, we got to go, Ben, but they got to figure it out because people want to travel. They want to see their family. Once we've been told the vaccines work, if they work, you can do this, you can do that. If you, if you can't tell somebody one thing and then change the rules over here. Ben Baldons, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. All right, we're back. Great to right have you. This. All right, let's welcome in one of our favorite guests and talk about these markets. Joining us now is Katie Stockton, Fairlead Strategies founder and managing partner. Katie, good to have you back on. What are some of the key technical levels, particularly, I don't know if you're watching the NASDAQ because everybody else is and they're worried about support. What do you see right now technically? Well, there have not been a lot of breakdowns with the pullback that we've seen, but certainly there is a meaningful loss of momentum. It's not just short-term in nature, it's also intermediate-term in nature, and that's what differentiates the current 
weakness with what we've seen previously, for example, late January. The loss of relative strength as well is very meaningful behind the NASDAQ 100 and related names like Tesla. Tesla is down about 40% from its highs and Actually, the major indices have held up remarkably well considering that. But that downside leadership is also a meaningful shift, and it tells us that perhaps this pullback won't just mature very quickly, that instead it will give way to a period of sort of choppy, sideways price action, something that unfortunately is quite frustrating and difficult to sort of more of a directional bias during. You think technology has, has lost the majority of its momentum and relative strength? You know, not the majority of. Certainly the long-term momentum is still very much positive around the world behind technology, behind the major indices, and really globally behind equities. And I don't think that will change throughout a consolidation phase. But if you look at the monthly or the long-term charts, boy, those uptrends are very, very steep. And there are some signs of exhaustion that suggest we could see up to four months of consolidation. And I, I think that would be healthy in the big scheme of things. But I do think that the valuation or the rotation from growth into value is meaningful because the ratios there have really broken down. So we're not seeing breakdowns in absolute terms in technology too much. But certainly in relative terms, those breakdowns seem to be real, albeit a little bit overdone in the short term. So in the short term, tech stocks are a bit more oversold than average. So I think we'll see a little relative stabilization there as we we get a respite from that ratio. However, I do think it's meaningful in that it means that the value trade is really here to stay this year. And that, that suggests that stock selection will be way more important this year than it has been in the recent years, meaning it's not all about FANG plus M plus Tesla anymore, uh, but rather will be rewarded by finding great stocks that can benefit from the economic recovery. Okay, define value stocks. Value, Katie, is in the eye of the beholder. Some people say it's, oh, it's only oil and gas or other beaten up stuff. You say value still looks good. What still looks good inside of value? So for me, it's a setup from a technical perspective that really reflects value. So these aren't the stocks that have reached new multi-year or all-time highs and well-established uptrends, but rather those that advanced from basing phases in Q4 of last year. You're finding that setup primarily in energy, in financials, selectively within industrials and materials, more cyclical areas of the market. There's still some great setups in technology, of course, from an absolute perspective. But of course, those are relatively overbought when you take a ratio of each of those individual stocks to the broader market or major indices. So I think there's a little bit more upside or room for our performance from the value arena with that in mind. And there's some great setups out there. I also think that with additional near-term weakness, we could get some rotation that's a little bit more defensive. And we really haven't seen that until very, very recently. I think a great case in point would be Procter & Gamble. PG has come well off of its lows after having lagged for many months. And that inkling that we have improved Mm -hmm. short-term momentum behind consumer staples could be informational. I like it. P&G, the Swiffer trade, if you will. Katie Stockton, a real pleasure to see you again. Thanks for coming on the program, Katie. Good stuff there in a market that everybody is really watching closely. Have a great day. And, folks, that goes for all of you as well. Have a great day wherever you may be. We will see you here tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.